1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks extending their sell-off with the S&P and the NASDAQ kicking off the new trading week in the red. However, futures suggesting a potential Tuesday turnaround is taking shape. And tracking the moves of the Oracle of Omaha, the stocks that Warren Buffett and other big money managers are snatching up and then falling out of love with. Plus, lowering the price tag, how Elon Musk is now suggesting he actually may scale back his $44 billion offer for Twitter after hitting pause on that deal. And retail in focus as earnings season for the sector gets underway, giving an inside look at the health of the American consumer and Private equity, investing in the worker. The deal for one manufacturing company that's giving employees a life-changing stake in their own company. It is Tuesday, May 17th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning to all of you. I'm Frank Holland. I'm in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. We're looking at stock futures. They're in the green this morning. Been a while since I think we actually said that. Right now, the Dow looks like it's poised to pop as much as about 300 points at the open. Still early. I always say that every WEX. Also, the Nasdaq up more than a percent right now. Big turnaround for that indices. Uh, Stocks finished, you know, mostly lower on Monday, extending the market's recent sell-off. The S&P falling just under a half a percent. The Nasdaq falling by more than one percent. The Dow was able to eke out a very slight gain, fractionally higher. Retail earnings on top of investors' radars this morning. We get results in the next hour from Home Depot with Walmart out in the 7 a.m. hour. Target lows in TJX among some of the big retail names reporting later in the week. Also, we have to check the bond market as we do every morning. The 10-year yield holding below that key 3% mark. Currently right now at 2.92%. We've seen this stay below 3% since last week when it hit what appears to be kind of a resistance level at 3.2%. Also this morning, uh, a number of Fed members speaking today, so we'll see if that impacts bonds at all throughout today. Also looking at the oil market, crude getting a boost on optimism that China would see significant demand recovery after positive signs that the recent COVID outbreak there is easing, at least a little bit. WTI now above $110 a barrel right now at 114, Brent crude just about the same at 114, both of them up just around a percent and a half. And of course, we have to look at crypto. We're gaining some ground amid the fallout from that Terra stablecoin fallout. Bitcoin back above $30,000 once again, right now with 30500 basically up almost 3%. Ether up over 3%. XRP uh, Ripple, I should say, up a percent and a half this morning. Um, big boost for crypto right now. All right, let's turn our attention to worldwide. Our Sherry Kang is standing by in Hong Kong with a look at the trade in Asia overnight. Our Juliana Tattlebombs in London with the early trade over in Europe. Sherry, let's start things with you.
2: Good morning, Frank. You're looking at the wall, green across the board in Asia. And of course, yesterday, it was the weaker-than-expected China data that disappointed many. Well, today, it's a J.P. Morgan analyst upgrading China tech names, Internet stocks, and that is a saving the day. We've got uh, Hong Kong-listed China stocks uh, well, rallying uh, this morning, and if we've got Hang uh, Seng Tech Index uh, rallying to 6% at the close. So JP Morgan analyst Alex Yao, who downgraded the sector back in March, calling this space uninvestable, now saying that they think that the key risks to the sector have diminished. They're talking about in terms of regulatory risk. ADRD listing risk, as well as a geopolitical risk as well. so we're talking Alibaba, Zebaidu, Pinduodo. Billy, Billy, NetEase getting that upgrade from underweight just two months ago to overweight now. And of course, there is yet another meeting that we're watching, and that is Vice Premier Liu He speaking at this meeting that is organized by the country's top political consultative body with Chinese tech bosses today. So that is also helping the sentiment. And as you mentioned, Shanghai lockdown exit optimism lifting the sentiment as well. So we've got Chinese. You want firming from yesterday's 20-month low and three straight days in Shanghai with no community cases. And that is a positive for the market. Frank?
1: It looks like a lot of optimism over in those Asian markets. Sherry, thank you. Now turning our attention to the early tradeover in Europe, our Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with much more. Good morning, Juliana.
3: Frank, good morning. Well, that positive momentum in Asia seems to be doing some good for European equity markets, which are higher across the board as well, and some pretty decent-sized gains. We've got the CAC 40 up about 1.4 percent, similar gains for the German market up about 1.4 percent. We are seeing a little bit of a lag in the U.K., but still FTSE 100 up about 7 tenths of a percent. And perhaps part of the reason for the underperformance is the strong surge we're seeing in sterling this morning. We're up more than 1 percent versus the greenback above the 124 level and that tends to have an inverse relationship with the FTSE 100. The Swiss market holding up well, up about 1%. The FTSE MIB over in Italy, 1.6% higher, and the Spanish market is up about 1.3%. Uh, from a sector perspective, this is the picture. Uh, at the top of the board, we've got basic resources performing best, up 2.4%. Financial services, banks and industrials, so a decent tilt toward those most, more cyclical sectors. On the downside, food and BEV, the worst performer, but still up about 0.4%. Telecoms, auto, and health care. So, Frank, I think the takeaway right now um, investors here in Europe are putting a little bit more risk on the table
4: today.
1: Yeah, a lot of green on that board. Juliana, thank you very much. Now to some of your morning's other top stories. Silvana now is here with those. Good morning, Silvana.
4: Hey, Frank. Good morning. Well, there's no shortage of Elon Musk news this morning. About two hours ago, he replied to a tweet saying Twitter must publicly show it has less than 5% spam accounts for his deal to go through. Musk has been accusing the social media giant of not sharing accurate data, suggesting fake users make up at least 20 percent of all accounts. And yesterday, he said he could seek a lower price for the deal because of that. Twitter shares are falling amid this. Meanwhile, Musk is also saying the U.S. economy is probably in a recession. Musk speaking at a conference mond- Monday, saying he projects the tough times will last between a year and 18 months, and caution companies watch their cash flows and costs. Intel shareholders have rejected a compensation plan for the company's top executives. Regulatory filings Monday reveal that shareholders representing only about 34 percent of the shares were in favor of the package. The vote is advisory and won't immediately impact compensation for Intel's executives, but marks the latest example of shareholders voting against executive compensation packages and Lordstown Motors ability to stay in business for at least another year will remain in doubt until it secures more funding and its market value rises. That's according to The Wall Street Journal, citing comments from the EV maker's chief finance officer, Adam Kroll. He says Lordstown needs to raise an additional $150 million in capital before the end of the year to execute on its plans for 2022. Last week, the company revealed it reached a deal to sell its factory to Foxconn for $230 million, the company's market cap now below $500 million, Frank.
1: Yeah, a lot of those EV makers under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Silvana, thank you for you that. You got it. All right, turning our attention back to the markets now, the odds of a hard landing for the U.S. economy, they appear to be rising with investors worried about slowing growth. That's according to a note out yesterday from Morgan Stanley's Wealth Management Division, CIO Lisa Shallott writing, quote, The stock and bond market downturn has advanced a behavior resembling a classic cyclical bear market rather than simply a correction. She says with inflation remaining stubborn and the Fed tightening policy, investors are bracing for the potential for a growth scare, if not an outright recession. Morgan Stanley sees a 27 percent chance of recession in the next 12 months, up from just 5 percent back in March. Let's bring in Kevin Simpson, founder and CIO of Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, thank you for being here. Hey, Frank, good morning. All right. So, Kevin, you're saying investors are just unprepared in general for all this volatility. They need to readjust how they look at equities. They need to do some homework, you say. So when they're doing some studying, what subjects do they need to study? Is this about dividends? This is about earnings? Is it about free cash flow? What do you say?
5: I mean, you hit it, Frank. The answer is D, all of the above. You know, <laughs> remember when we were kids, we'd always hear the expression, it's, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. And that's the buzzkill. You know, it's easy and fun when we're in a raging bull market. But the problem is when that comes to an end, so many investors did get hurt whether it was cryptocurrency or innovation stock or meme stocks, I think a lot of newer investors and and maybe seasoned ones as well were just somewhat unprepared for the volatility. I mean, you did a great job yesterday, Frank, highlighting some of the cloud names, the growth names, and the thesis that if we saw a pullback in yields, that that trade might turn back on. And there was a meaningful pullback in the yield on the 10-year, and they didn't bounce because that trade is over. And we need to reset, we need to rethink And it really plays into our philosophy, like you just mentioned. If you own stocks that have free cash flow, stocks that pay dividends, you can wait things out for times to improve. And the best part of it is you can get paid while you wait.
1: You know, I did tee up a bit because we're both from the Philadelphia area. So I had up out my homeboy. You know what I mean? But on a serious note, we were just looking at your ETF, the DIVO as the high dividend ETF. So you're really especially focused on companies that have enough capital through earnings to afford dividends. You say pricing power and also some form of a mode is really key. Can you give us a couple of examples of the kind of companies that you think investors should be eyeing in this current environment?
5: Yeah, thanks for that uh, tea as well. Um, I'll Give it Bryce Harper. We, we we have to look at Home Depot because they're going to be reporting this morning. Home Depot is a stock that's off 30% from its highs. Now, their P.E. was inflated, and I can make a case that it's still a little bit high moving forward. So there's room for this stock to pull back a little bit more. But we're building a position in it because we like that pricing power you have a company like home depot or also walmart that's going to have the ability to control a little bit of their supply chain but more importantly that they have the pricing power to to make sure that they're still profitable and that's the key to all of this if you look at home depot's dividend it's paying 2.57 percent right now pretty attractive dividend great entry point to begin building a position in this stock But the reason I love it, Frank, is that the five-year dividend growth, each and every year for the past five years, it's been increasing that dividend at a rate of about 19%. That's a way to combat inflation because higher dividends over time are a true hedge against inflation and ultimately a a great investment to have during a recession.
1: So recession, possible. Morgan Stanley says the odds of it have actually increased 27% now over 5% just a short time ago. Another thing that we're looking at is inflation, uh, CPI at 8.3 percent, PPI at 11 percent. What does that mean for some of these companies that you're talking about that have strong earnings and the ability to provide dividends? Doesn't that eat into that ability to
5: provide that dividend? Well, I think it's going to eat into the ability for them to increase that dividend at the same clip. You need to make sure that they have the earnings to support the dividend growth. You know, lots of times you'll focus on aristocrats or dividend kings and want to see companies that are just increasing dividends year after year after year. But it's like I tell my son all the time, we can go to the mall and we can buy anything we want because we have a credit card. It doesn't mean that we can afford it. So what we need to make sure is that we're investing in companies that have the earnings growth to support that dividend growth. And even if their earnings growth slows, which it's going to across the board, you can still have stock prices appreciate even in periods of high inflation, in, in a recession, they just aren't going to go up 20, 25, 30 percent. You know, another name that we could talk about is the old Dow Chemical, Dow Corporation. Again, kind of thinking with that home uh, builder theme, it's a stock that has been able to very successfully put its pricing into the customer uh, from from a, I guess the supply chains are, are still there. They're paying more for goods, but they're able to pass on those higher costs to the customer. Sales are up like 80 percent, and it's a company paying you a four percent plus dividend right now. Dividend growth is still over seven, eight percent a year. So you're still getting that raise. But it's another example of a company that's going to be pressured by higher prices for sure, but has pricing power to pass some of that along to the customer base.
1: All right. The search for yield continues. Kevin, we got to talk about Philly sports the next time. Yeah, not the Sixers. (laughs) Definitely not the Sixers. Kevin Simpson, thanks for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, China's continued impact on global supply chain crunches. Details on the steps that Beijing is taking to try to ease ongoing bottlenecks. Plus, your morning's big money movers and what has shares of United Airlines taking off. And later, Abbott reaching a deal with the federal government in a bid to ease the ongoing baby formula shortage. The latest on when it may start getting the critical food source back on shelves. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with me.
2: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member
6: SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand
1: all right. Welcome back. The Chinese government is creating an additional new stage within its zero covid strategy. It's called silent management mode, meaning all unnecessary city deliveries suspended from May 10th through the 15th with the target of reopening on June 1st. CNBC senior editor Lorianne Larocco joins us now with more on how China's continued zero covid policy is impacting not only Shanghai, but the broader global supply chain. Lorianne, thanks for being here this morning. Will this new policy help correct the bottlenecks that companies are currently facing?
7: Uh, Good morning, Frank. And the answer, unfortunately, is no. I got off the phone this morning with one of my logistics uh, coordinators in China, and they're telling me that the cross uh, city border, if you will, for the trucks, they're not open. And what does that mean? It means that the containers are not coming. Uh, They are getting phone calls from their uh, clients saying we need raw materials. So unfortunately, this is more rhetoric uh, than action. And so what I want to do today is kind of give you this skinny, if you will, on the flow of trade. And I want to start with what we are calling dwell times. And what are they? Well, vessel dwell times tells you how long a vessel is at anchor. And for the containers, uh, for the container dwell time, it's actually the length of time that the box waits at the port to get on the vessel. And so what does all this mean? It actually tells you the truth in terms of zero COVID and the impact it is having on the U.S. supply chain. When you're looking at the imports, and that's where the vessel dwell time comes in, that shows you that vessels are near a wait time as high as 12 days. That is a very, very long time, whereas normally you're only in port, you're waiting maybe a day or two. For the exports, and this is critical, this is the U.S. supply chain here, The containers are waiting a whopping three days before they get on a vessel. Normally, they only wait for a day. And remember, folks, a vessel at rest is not at money. And why is this happening? The tight control of moving freight between the cities. Factories need to apply for permissions that are only valid for 24 hours.
1: And how have the delays getting into the Shanghai port impacted other trade routes?
7: At, well, exactly. It's like Shanghai, if you will, is like the heartbeat for the intra-Asia trade route. And so what happens is you've got Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia, all of these uh, countries bounce a product back and forth to get finished. And this also includes Japan. Last week, the uh, the audience may remember that Toyota, Mitsubishi and uh, Suzuki all came out saying that they were either closing factories or they had to stop back production because of the lack of raw materials to make their product. And then closer to Shanghai's home, Tesla. They last week had to shut down production as well.
1: So how are these delays from Shanghai hitting U.S. exports on finished goods?
7: Well, this is the chart that really speaks the story. You are looking at Shanghai exports into the United States. That is a ski slope. No country wants to see their trade in a downward trajectory. This is what is happening with zero COVID. And what's going to happen is once things reopen, you're going to have that container crunch that everybody is going to be talking about. And so this is the reality of
1: zero COVID. All right. CNBC senior editor Lorian LaRocco. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Still on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, Wall Street pumping its money into a key Senate race in Battleground, Pennsylvania. Alon Moy is live on the ground, tracking the big names, backing the candidates when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Canva
6: presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case. Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate
0: slides and words in seconds.
6: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
0: Canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you
1: All right. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, United Airlines shares up more than four percent. It's raising its second quarter revenue forecast. Despite trimming capacity on the expected boom in travel demand, the company now expects total revenue per available seat mile to be up 23 to 25 percent from that same period back in 2019 pre-pandemic. Last week, United said this summer will be the busiest since the pandemic, estimating nearly 5.3 million customers will fly with the carrier during the 4th of July holiday period. Wow. Don't miss the company's CEO on Squawk Box this morning at 8 a.m. Eastern. Stock two video game maker Take-Two Interactive, the maker of Grand Theft Auto and other video game franchises, up more than 5 percent after reporting better than expected fourth quarter revenue. But it expects full year adjusted sales to come in below estimates as demand slows with the return of social life in a post-pandemic world. Stock three, Tencent Music uh, shares up right now, more than 7%. It reported a 15% slump in the first quarter for revenue in line with forecast. But those shares are rising on optimism for an easing of the regulatory crackdown on China's tech giants. Chinese state media reporting the country's top political consulting body is hosting a meeting today with some firms on how to promote the digital economy. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera, she's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis.
8: Hi, Frank, good morning. President Biden and the First Lady are traveling to Buffalo today to pay their respects after this weekend's horrific mass shooting. The first couple will visit a memorial at the supermarket where 10 people lost their lives. They will also meet with families of victims, first responders, and community leaders to offer condolences. More than 260 Ukrainian fighters have been evacuated from the steel plant in Mariupol. The last defenders of the ruined city have been holed up and under bombardment for weeks. The apparent surrender would cede full control of Mariupol to Russia, ending the deadly battle for the key port city. Back here at home, Americans can now offer a third round and order a third round of free at-home COVID tests from the government. The tests, which can be ordered through covidtest.gov, will be shipped to homes in two packages of four. And Mattel is back with another Barbie doll recreation, this time inspired by designer Vera Wang. The doll was released as part of the company's ongoing tribute collection honoring trailblazers and visionaries. And the look was taken from her spring 2017 ready-to-wear collection right when she made a shift away from her well-known bridal gown pieces. But if you remember even before that, Frank, that she started this whole thing by designing ice skating costumes for Nancy Kerrigan, Michelle Kwan, and now she has this long story career and now our own barbie
1: very cool i love all the different barbies nowadays like i have three sisters so you know when they were younger i would see all the different barbies very cool just all the diversity about time yep <laughs> all right francis thank you very much still on deck here on worldwide exchange no sleep for elon musk up and tweeting overnight as speculation mounts he may be trying to slash the price for his offer for twitter his comments coming up you don't want to miss those And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. A Tuesday turnaround taking shape. Futures pointing to a strong open after stocks kicked the new trading week off on a bit of a sour note. And slashing the price tag, Elon Musk up and tweeting overnight, questioning Twitter's user data, A speculation continues to grow that he may try to reduce his offer for the social media company. And checking the health of the consumer. Home Depot and Walmart set to kick off a wave of retail earnings. We preview what to watch for in the results. It is Tuesday, May 17th. We're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 530 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here's how the the markets, the money, your markets... You know what I'm talking about—the stuff you invest in. How's how it looks right now? Stock futures solidly in the green, a bit different than we've seen in recent days. Right now, the Dow looks like it's poised to pop more than 300 points at the open. The Nasdaq, well in the green after falling 1% yesterday. We also want to keep our eye on the bond market. The 10-year yield holding right below that 3% mark, currently at. 2.911%, a number of fed members speaking today including fed chair Jerome Powell. We're going to see if that impacts bonds at all today. Something to watch certainly in those bonds potentially. Getting over 3 percent, something that we've definitely been keeping our eye on. We're also looking at the oil market this morning. And throughout the day, we're going to have to keep our eye on it after some data out of China. Crude oil getting a boost on optimism that China would see significant demand recovery after positive signs that the recent COVID outbreak there could be easing. WTI now back above one hundred and ten dollars a barrel currently right now at one hundred and fourteen Brent crude, just very slightly higher. Now to this morning's top story. Silvana Hanau is back with those headlines. Good morning again, Silvana.
4: Hey, Frank. Good morning again. Well, no shortage of Elon Musk news this morning. About two hours ago, he replied to a tweet saying Twitter must publicly show it has less than 5% spam accounts for his deal to go through. Musk has been accusing the social media giant of not sharing accurate data, suggesting fake users make up at least 20 percent of all accounts. And yesterday he said he could seek a lower price for the deal because of that. Meantime, the New York Post is reporting SpaceX as planning to sell existing shares starting today. And there's talk Elon Musk could be a seller. Musk has, of course, been looking to raise money for his Twitter bid. He, owed 44, he owned 44 percent of SpaceX shares as of August. In other corporate news, Abbott has reached a deal with the FDA to reopen the company's baby formula manufacturing plant in Michigan. The factory was shut earlier this year due to bacterial contamination, the closure has been a major factor behind the nationwide formula shortage. 13 NFs are starting to come in, giving us a snapshot of what some of the world's most powerful investors bought and sold in the first quarter. Among the headlines, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway purchased more than 55 million shares of Citigroup, as well as shares of Ally Financial, chemicals company Celanese, insurer Markle, healthcare company McKesson and media firm Paramount Global. Berkshire sold almost all its Verizon stock and exited the small position it still had left in Wells Fargo. Meantime, Dan Loeb's third point, sold, of, sold out of positions in Alphabet and Disney, offloaded more than 90% of shares in Amazon and about 70% of its position in Microsoft. Lots of movement there, Frank.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly a lot of movement there. Oh, so, yeah. thank you very much. You got it. All right, the health of the consumer will be front and center today as some of the nation's biggest retailers, they roll out their quarterly results, Investors will also be looking for signs of inflationary pressure and the ability of companies to pass on those higher costs. Joining us now, Jan Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen WWE. Jan, thanks for being here.
9: Hey, it's a pleasure.
1: All right. We got a big date today for retail earnings. We got uh, Home Depot coming up actually in just a few minutes and then Walmart coming in after the seven o'clock hour. What are you expecting from each of those results? And is there something that we can learn in particular about the consumer from each one?
9: um, I believe we'll see strength out of Walmart. They need to be at least 2.5% on comps. And I think what you're going to find out there is that multi-channel retailing is actually starting to win the game against the great, legendary Amazon that's really only online. And that's going to be a big lesson for all of us because Target's been proven it, Walmart's been proven it. If it continues right through these earnings releases we get over the next few days— We're going to see that multi-channel is where you have to be in retailing. Walmart's proving that to us, and so will Target. Yeah, very interesting. On HD, HD is a little different. HD is going to tell us whether or not the rotation's really started. Are we moving away from home and we're really just moving into experiences and apparel to go with experiences? I think HD is really going to tell us we're spending on both, because I don't think they've walked away yet. So hd needs to give us a very minor negative number maybe two percent and we'll all walk away saying yes the consumer is still there for both sides of the business
1: really, really quick jen uh, i was really caught something that you were just saying then these two companies in particular um i know they're part of the watch uh the acronym for walmart amazon target costco and home depot home depot is the last one i had to think about it, it took me a second Are these the companies that particularly have the ability to pass on inflationary pressure and pass on the cost to the consumer?
9: These are the greatest retailers in the world that you just named. And they have the ability to hold the cost down for themselves relative to their peers. They've all invested in technology. They all got to stay open during the great pandemic. And they reinvested and they took market share and they're continuing to. They will show us that despite the inflation, they're the people that we will go to to buy our goods because they can still give us the best deal because they're the best at logistics, they're the best at getting the product in the stores, that kind of logistics, and they're the very best at controlling costs, and they can use automation when labor costs go up, and it's really, really hard to compete with them now that they can reinvest in their business at those rates with those kind of technologies. Other people just can't do it at the level they can do.
1: Jan, you just said a buzzword for me, logistics. We just had Lorianne LaRocco on just a minute ago talking about some of the issues getting exports out of China to the U.S. ports. So out of all the big retail earnings that we have coming up this week, I I know you're very positive on them, but is there one company that you expect to be especially impacted by supply chain issues?
9: No, I, I think what I expect is to find out that the ones we just named are not being impacted nearly by the supply chain issues as the other retail part of the world that we really won't see most of whom report this week but i think when you see people like tjx report and ross report you will find out that they're still having logistics issues in the off price space so what we're waiting for there is to see if those logistics issues go away i don't think we'll see have seen them go away so far and i don't think we'll see them go away over the next three to six months probably after that things will return to normal across the board i suspect absent another wave of something. And that's where we're looking for that, too. Can the off-price space start competing again effectively in logistics? And so far, that hasn't been the case.
1: All right. So one more thing. I know I, know I said we try to fit in boot barn, but the stock's not moving this morning, Jens. So we we're going to have to table that for now. But one thing I do want to talk about, you're one of the many people that says consumers have more money in their purses and their wallets than ever before, but nobody ever really puts a number on it. How much more money do consumers have? And just because you have more money, does that mean you're willing to spend it on the same things that just cost more?
9: Right now, they're sitting on $3.9 trillion versus the $1 trillion they were sitting on in 2019. They can spend it if they want to. And so far, they've been totally resistant to price, and they've been willing to pay more for stuff they don't really want. And that's been an amazing phenomenon. The question is, will they keep doing that in an eight and a half percent inflationary environment? We're all waiting to see. Will they just spend it up and then reload their credit cards? Or will they sit back and say, no, I'm going to fight this battle. I'm too afraid of what's going on in the economy. As of yesterday, they were saying, I'm just going to keep spending.
1: Well, Jan, according to you, they're spending it on boots and 10 gallon hats remains to be seen. Jan Neffin, thanks for the insight as always. Thanks for being here. All right, Turning our attention to today's big Senate primary race in Battleground, Pennsylvania. The contest in the Keystone State attracting lots of attention as well as money from some big names on Wall Street. Alon Moy is live and on the ground there in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia with much more. Alon, who is throwing their money behind this race?
10: Well, good morning, Frank. Here in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz is leading in the latest poll, but Wall Street money is betting on someone it used to call its own former Bridgewater CEO Dave McCormick. He is running a close second in the GOP primary battle for Pennsylvania's open Senate seat and he has been all over the airwaves. According to Ad Impact, nearly $79 million has been spent so far, and for perspective, that is about 6 times the amount that was spent during the entire campaign season in the last midterms. And the biggest spender is a pro McCormick super PAC that's primarily funded by his former colleagues in finance, Ken Griffin of Cit- Citadel donated $7.5 million to the Super PAC, Paul Singer of Elliott Management gave $1.5 million, and Paul Tudor Jones donated $500,000. Now, that's a pretty nice war test, but on the campaign trail, McCormick has been trying to distance himself from his days running Bridgewater and play up his hometown roots.
11: Who's ever applied for a
9: job where you get a lot less money and get your reputation destroyed over that? (laughs) Who's applied for that job? Only those who have run for office, right? So, why would I want a job like that? Well, the reason is I love our country.
10: Now, Dr. Oz has some big money backers of his own, including Nelson Peltz, who gave $40,000 to his super PAC, and John Paulson, who who gave $5,800 directly to the Oz campaign. But most importantly, Oz has the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. We are at the hotel where Oz had a town hall just last night, and Trump called into that event not just to support Oz, but also to slam McCormick as a candidate of Wall Street, lobbyists, and special interests. So, Frank, we'll see what voters have to say about all of this when they head to the ballot box in just a few hours. Back to you.
1: Yeah. Battleground Pennsylvania continues. So, Alana, I got to ask, why is there so much attention on this particular race?
10: Now, this race is really shaping up to be a test of Trump versus Wall Street. You know, the former president has had success so far in endorsing candidates who might have seemed like long shots, but then rose to the top of the polls, most notably in Ohio, where he endorsed the candidate who eventually won uh, the GOP primary there, J.D. Vance. He's trying to see if he can do this again here in Pennsylvania, but McCormick has so much money stacked up on his side. Uh, that's going to play a big factor here in getting that name recognition out there with voters. So we'll see you know, what they have to say. There's also another candidate who's rising in the polls as well. So this is really a toss-up as voters head into those final hours uh, before this race is decided.
1: All right, Alain Moy with the latest in Pennsylvania. I have to send you a recommendation for a cheesesteak place later. All right, coming up here at Worldwide Exchange, an American success story. Companies get acquired almost every day in this country, and the most powerful business leaders and investors, they often make out big. But up next, we're going to bring you the story of one private equity firm. Actually turning the tables with an ownership model that's enriching every employee. But first, it's a really big day here at CNBC. Our annual list of fast-growing, innovative startups is back for its 10th year. The 2022 CNBC Disruptor 50 list will be revealed next hour on air and online at cnbc.com disruptors. You want to check that out. Stay with us. Right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Private equity is often seen as the enemy, buying companies in middle, middle America, loading on a bunch of debt, and then slashing the workforce. But today, we have a different side of that story. Our Leslie Picker reports.
12: In the otherwise sleepy town of Arthur, Illinois, a life-changing surprise for the hundreds of workers at the locally based garage door manufacturer, CHI.
1: We do have some news to share.
12: CHI is getting sold for $3 billion to steel manufacturer, Nucor. But it's not just the company's private equity owners who are cashing out. So too are the truck drivers and factory workers, and even the office manager, Rhonda Jamison. This was a great day for Rhonda. The payouts are a function of tenure and salary. Because Jameson is in her 18th year at CHI, she'll be bringing home 5.5 times her annual salary.
0: Words cannot explain how my mind was going. It's just
12: in a hundred directions. Employees received envelopes with their bonus details. On average, hourly workers received $175,000, with the most tenured earning more than $750,000. dollars i The idea of giving rank-and-file workers equity grants in a sale is the brainchild of Pete Stavros of KKR, one of the nation's largest and oldest private equity firms.
1: What initially got me interested in it was my father. So my dad was a construction worker for 45 years. Stavros said his father
12: loved his job, but he couldn't create wealth on an hourly wage. So once the younger Stavros got into business school, he started studying the topic of employee ownership. And as he rose through the ranks of KKR, he started experimenting with it in the companies he invested in. Now the firm uses it in all of its buyouts.
1: And we had good success, so it, it, it delivered great results for companies, great outcomes for workers. And it's not just the money, it's the fact that, as, I, as we said to everyone today, you earned it. I mean, this isn't charity, it's not a gift. They drove an unbelievable amount of productivity in the business.
12: Stavros says Nucor will include their own profit sharing model for CHI, and the employees we spoke with say they have no plans to take their money and run.
6: I am all in with CHI, simple as that. They're running to have to wheel me out of here.
12: And in the meantime, Jamison, who spends her days answering phones and ordering supplies, has big plans for her newfound money. Well, we're going to Disney.
0: <laughs> um, well, I've got, I'm going to pay off my house. I'm going to pay off my cars. And we're going to give a little bit to the church and help my kids a little bit.
12: KKR first invested in CHI in 2015 and will make 10 times the equity invested on the deal, the firm's best return on a buyout since the 1980s. For Nucor, a takeover of CHI marks its biggest acquisition ever, but shares of the largest U.S. steelmaker slipped on the announcement yesterday. Frank?
1: Leslie, really interesting story, really heartwarming to see some of those employees so happy. Is this something we could see more of with private equity companies taking companies private?
12: Thanks, Frank. Yeah, the reactions were so genuine there. And it is something that we'll see more of. For one, KKR is um, instituting this in all of its Americas-based buyouts. Um, also, We heard from Pete Stavros of KKR in that package. He launched a a nonprofit called Ownership Works, and it has a bunch of other private equity firms that have signed on and agreed to do a similar model um, at at least three portfolio companies by 2023. These include Apollo, Ares, KKR, Leonard Green, TPG Silver Lake, Warburg Pink, and some of the largest private equity firms in this country. So this is something I think we're kind of at the tip of the iceberg here and we could see more of in the future.
1: Yeah, it was a good day for Rhonda. I love that part of it. Leslie Picker. Thanks for bringing us that story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we'll get you ready for the trading day ahead and talk to one portfolio manager who's finding opportunities in sectors that are linked to inflation. But first, during May, we're celebrating Asian-American and Pacific Islander heritage. As we head to break, here's Wheelhouse CIO Ann Barry.
2: my mother is from the Philippines, and she was one of the early generation of nurses to move west in the 1970s. I grew up watching her and hearing about her feel and seem to be invisible. So when I embarked on my career on Wall Street, I made it really a mission to make sure that I could be both seen and heard in the rooms that I was in. My message to young people with Asian heritage is you have a voice. Be proud of your voice, use it, and speak up.
1: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A busy day ahead for investors. Several pieces of economic data out this morning, including retail sales and industrial production figures for April at 10 a.m. We get the latest survey from the National Association of Home Builders. And at 2 p.m., Fed Chair Jerome Powell speaks at the Wall Street Journal Future of Everything Festival. And as we've been discussing, retail earnings season that gets underway. Home Depot results out in just a few minutes with Walmart out at 7 a.m. And right now, stock futures up big. The Dow looking like it opened up as much as 400 points higher. The Nasdaq futures up more than 2%. For much more on this trading day, green all across the board. Let's bring in Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, good morning, and thank you for being here. Yeah,
11: good morning, Frank. Nice to see some uh, green on a Tuesday.
1: Yeah, it is nice for a lot of investors. So let's just start there. What do you make about this bit of a turnaround for the markets up big today with a uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell speaking later today. Is that what you expected to see from the futures of this morning?
11: Well, I don't know that I expected to wake up to futures being up 400. But, uh, Frank, you know, we, we spoke last month and early in April we downgraded our equity view. But last week, early on last week, we told our investors we would not be sellers at these low levels after we've had such a big correction. Because what's happened right now, Frank, is the market's very oversold. Sentiment has got one-sided and all it takes is a little bit of good news to go a long way. And we thought last week, at least we likely put in some type of short term market low. So we're not surprised to see some further gain since then.
1: All right. So some of the things that you're watching, like everybody else, inflation, uh, you know, rate hikes, et cetera. One area that you're really interested in, I know you're also very bullish on large cap companies, but in uh, real estate investment trust, if you don't mind us asking you a few questions about that. Why that particular area? There was uh, some news about uh, Prologis, which is a big REIT, trying to buy one of its competitors, Duke Realty. I know you don't really talk about stocks, but why are you so bullish on these real estate investment trusts?
11: Yeah, well, we've been overweight in real estate because it has some defensive uh, qualities. And there is a tech component of it. It's part of the reflation trade that we're seeing, uh, you know, as far as rents moving up also. And what you said, it's been more of a kind of a steady eddy because it has these defense and growth qualities also. But I would say areas that we're even more positive on right now are, are the energy materials, which we think are good hedges for inflation. And look at energy this morning. Even with the correction we had, um, crude oil prices are still hovering around 115. So that's another area that we like, uh, you know, in, in the market. And it's held up remarkably well even during the downturn.
1: Yeah. Another thing that you track is uh, how much of the market is oversold. Last time we talked, you mentioned, and we talked back in April, you mentioned that a certain percentage of uh, stocks in the S&P were trading below their 50-day moving average. What are we looking like now?
11: Yeah, so right now, last week, and one of the reasons why, at least on a short-term basis, we became a little bit more positive is that we went down to only 14% of stocks trading above their 50-day moving average. So what does that mean? That means everything has been moving down and there's been indiscriminate selling. And often, towards a market low, at least a short-term market low, what we're speaking about you have that indiscriminate selling. We saw that sentiment was negative. And what we liked on Friday, we had this kind of buy panic into the market, a strong breath off the low. And that's typically a good sign that there's more momentum. So we think this will likely carry forward. It's still in a context of a broader trading range, but you're still relatively oversold on most of the metrics that we look at.
1: All right, you've also upgraded bonds. Um, this seems to be running a bit contrary to what a lot of other portfolio managers are saying. Are you concerned about rate hikes and, and- impacting the bond environment and just the general environment overall?
11: Yeah, we, we um, especially last year, we have been extremely underweight fixed income, actually our lowest allocations over the last decade. But as yields have moved up and they're becoming more productive again, incrementally we have been increasing our fixed income exposure, especially on the, the short end. I mean, we've seen yields move up over 1% in less than a month, so that there is some relative uh, value there, especially on the short end. And we're seeing some credit opportunities as well.
1: All right. You're underweight financials, communications and tech. I want to ask you about financials. Rising interest rates generally thought to be very constructive for financials. Why are you jumping off that boat?
11: We've been underweight financials for several months now. And you're right. Last year, it was all about rates moving higher and the financials moving higher with it. Now we think it's more about the economy and the, and the financials are more focused on an economy, especially globally, that is slowing down. Listen, on a short term basis, they're oversold as well. So I would not be surprised to see a, of a bounce. In our view, they are not leadership. And the earning trends are just aren't that strong relative to the border market.
1: All right, Keith, one last question. Fred Chair, Jerome Powell speaking later today. We just mentioned it. What are you expecting to hear from him and how do you see the markets and the bond market reacting?
11: You know, I don't know what he's going to say today that's going to surprise us. He just did an interview that was released over the weekend discussing his main focus is inflation. We heard that. Um, you know, over the last two weeks as well. So I'm not really looking for for uh, uh, Mr. Powell to be a catalyst for this market. I think the catalyst right now is you're oversold. You've gotten some better news out of uh, China overnight. And this rally probably has caught some folks offside. So, I, again, I don't think uh-huh. Powell's going to be the main Keith, catalyst today.
1: Keith Lerner with the last word right there. We appreciate you being here. All right. One last check at the friend. futures right now. Steadily in the green this morning. Very positive start to the day. Dow futures look like they're up over 400 points at this point. Remember, it is still early. The Nasdaq well in the green as well. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.